0: What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.
1: Welcome to the end of October. Wow! At the end of October, we got a million reasons to sell, 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 sell and sell, 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 sell. not a lot of reasons buy, to buy, 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 buy. Which is why this market is so darn choppy. Dow slipping 127 points today. s lost 0.43 percent, but the Nasdaq gained 0.26 percent. This is the time of year when a huge percentage of mutual funds like to dump their losers so they won't look like idiots when they have to disclose their holdings. Now those losses are substantial if you own anything connected to housing or to China. Two problems that I regard as entirely man-made. Housing's being crushed by an overzealous Federal Reserve, and China's getting slammed by the president's trade war. Now, I believe ultimately that the Fed's going to blink. There's just so much damage being done, particularly by the surge in mortgage rates. If they bother to look at the data, I wouldn't be surprised if they were my, Yes, this is a little bullish, but one and done. Meaning the Fed tightens one more time in December and then says, you know what, let's get data dependent. Let's wait and see what happens. But the Chinese situation, I've got to tell you, that seems to escalate by the week. We've gone from tiff to skirmish to outright economic warfare against China. With the president's chief economic advisor, my old partner, Larry Kudlow, now telling the Financial Times that China's intransigence on trade is so harsh that he's never seen anything like it. As Kudlow explains, the problem with the story is that they don't respond. Nothing. Nada. He went on to say that our detailed list of asks basically hasn't changed for five or six months. So then you have to ask, why hasn't there been any progress? Kudlow says, it's really the president and the Chinese Communist Party. They have to make a decision, and so far they have not, or they have made a decision not to do anything. Wow. Of course, you could argue that this is just tough talk ahead of potential negotiations. Or you could say... This is an emphatic end to the talks, if there were any. And we better get used to some serious collateral damage because of this kind of— You know, my ears always pick up when I see Chinese Communist Party, because it reminds me that President Trump is not a big fan of doing business with communists. And in the back of his mind, I sometimes get the sense that he wouldn't mind if we stopped trading with China entirely. In other words, I think the president wants the economic equivalent of regime change, yet not an economic war, but a cold war, with the Chinese once again playing the pre-Nixon role of worldwide nemesis. Needless to say, that is not what Wall Street wants to see. So which stocks have been hammered, and which ones could potentially have more downside? First, the one I'm most worried about at this very moment is Rockwell Collins. It's a fantastic aerospace company that's being bought by the equally fantastic United Technologies, which reports tomorrow morning. A little more than a year ago, Rockwell Collins agreed to sell itself to United Technologies for about $30 billion. It's really the last standalone maker of aircraft components of any size, of any scale. If the deal closes, it could allow United Technologies to break itself up into three separate companies. Otis Elevators, a a climate controls business, and Aerospace, which includes the gem that is Pratt & Whitney. Remember, we visited them a couple years ago. Really terrific company. But the operative term in that sentence is if... Because the Chinese have the ability to block the deal on antitrust grounds. Remember, that's exactly what China did when Qualcomm tried to buy NXP Semi, even though there weren't really any, I felt, legitimate antitrust issues. Rockwell Collins had high hopes that this deal might close by the end of September. So did United Technologies, which is why Rockwell Collins' stock shot up to 142. And that was up from 106 when we first got wind of the acquisition last year. But China hasn't approved it yet. And the stock has shed a quick 12 points, indicating that there's a tremendous amount of angst among the arbitrage community that are in this deal. Makes sense. In the wake of the failed Quantum NXP uh, deal, get this. NXP's stock plunged from $127.50, where the deal was supposed to close. Well, it, it never got to right to there, about $127. All the way down to $76. Oh, man. With most of that weakness coming because China blocked Qualcomm from acquiring them. I don't think my whole cons will fall that hard, but I've got to tell you, it will not be a picnic. At the same time, United Technologies is taking on the chin because of the holdup and this transaction. And as long as the Chinese drag their feet, it makes the company's eventual breakup less likely. That's unfortunate, as the breakup would unlock so much value. And Greg Hayes is doing such a good job. He's the CEO. Now, if China decides to play ball, it would be the easiest thing in the world for them to approve this deal, kind of as a show of good faith. Lots of smart people are betting will do precisely that because there's no good reason, no justification to block this transaction except to use it as a bargaining chip in the trade war. But we thought the deal would be closed four weeks ago, so the consternation, I'm calling it legitimate. What else? How about Micron? Here's a commodity semiconductor company that gets about half of its sales from China. Right now, Micron trades at just less than four times earnings. Wait a second. That insanely low-priced earnings multiple tells you that people are very worried that the company won't be able to make its numbers. Now, Micron does have genuine weakness in its flash memory division, and it's very much a boomer bust business. But our rocky relations with China sure don't help here. Maybe the Chinese Communist Party wants to shut down their business in China. Or maybe they want to make it harder for them to do business. Whatever's happening, it's sent the stock into free fall, and that's putting pressure on the entire chip cohort, including applied materials. The same inductor capital equipment maker with a lot of business in China. Some stocks get clocked at the mere mention of China. VF Corp, the fabulous apparel company uh, behind Vans and North Face, coughed up th- th- that it sources 11% of its merchandise from China last week, and the stock immediately lost 10% of its value on Friday, even though the company reported a pretty solid quarter. More on that later. Kimberly Clark said this morning that its business in China was down high teens. Horrendous. Stock took a $3.83 hit. PVH, the parent of Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein, had been making huge progress in China. Given how strong its U.S. sales are and how Europe's been very good, I have to wonder if China's upside must be capped. I can't think of another reason why PVH stock has fallen from 169 to 121. Now, we know that there are companies with such good relationships in China that they'll probably do just fine, no matter how heated the trade war gets. Apple's got tremendous ties in the People's Republic. They manufacture so much stuff over there that any sanctions on Apple would be really like China cutting off its nose to spite its face. The Chinese stock market rallied hard last night on talk of China advocating what is basically a whatever-means-necessary stance on the economy, presumably including its stock market. In the past, the Communist Party's been very good at bolstering growth. I think Starbucks, which had a sharp sharp shortfall in China, has reversed that decline there, which is why the stock has had such a good run. There's a lot to like about Starbucks overseas. Domestic business hasn't quite turned yet. Loyalty program doing quite well. Still, you have to be cognizant that the strongest stocks today were the techs that have no meaningful exposure to China. Namely, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. All those stocks were doing much better until the last 15 minutes, which is really ugly today. And uh, it's coming in loud and clear that those are the ones that people like going into the next quarter, bottom line. As mutual fund dump stocks of companies that trade with the enemy as part of their normal end-of-the-year selling, they've decided to swap that cash into the highest-growth tech stocks with no Chinese exposure. And therefore, there's a whole lot of fang going on. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. Hi, Jim. How
0: are you doing? I am
1: good. How about you, Brian? Jim, I really need some help here uh, sure. for
0: two reasons. First, First of all, I'm in a lot of pain as a New York Giants fan. Uh, Secondly, I'm long 1,500 shares of U.S. concrete in the 70s. I bought a full position and have an average down. When it ran up to 86, then sold off to 70, I thought I had an opportunity. Now the stock is at $30 a share, and my mailbox literally reads the house of pain. Bill Stanbrook, the CEO, whom you've had on your show multiple times, is on auto sell. For an Army guy, he doesn't seem to be supporting his company or shareholders at all. I understand that the fact... I understand that the sector as a whole has sold off, including ex Vulcan, and Martin Marietta, right. but nothing like how US Concrete has. It looks like the Democrats will take the House and the Republicans will keep the Senate. Uh, if so, do I answer my position here? and do you think an no? Infrastructure I No, they, they
1: have to come up with an explanation about why it's come down. I mean, I know there's no infrastructure bill, but this this there's something this stock is in free fall, and I can't tell you to catch a falling knife. we've asked several times., uh, we've been saying over and over again, without an infrastructure bill, you can't own the stock, and that unfortunate view has been borne out by the action in USCR. All right. Look, the losses are substantial. Stocks that were up today are of techs that have no exposure to China. And that's a whole lot of fang going on. Oh man, buddy, tonight, trouble in Toyland. Hasbro took a tumble today as it's still working through the Toys R Us demise. I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to see what it means for the toy maker. Then, the parent company of Vans and North Face reported better than expected earnings the stock still took a hit. I'm going to break down this intriguing move. And even though the stock market might seem a lot less welcoming over the past few weeks, there's still some opportunities to be had. I'm going off the charts to see if it's time to buy in one of the most
2: unlikely places. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.
1: How long will it take for Hasbro, the huge toy maker, to get past this collapse of Toys R Us, which finally shuttered all of its U.S. locations a few months ago? This morning, Hasbro reported a pretty suboptimal quarter. company earned only $1.93 per share when street was looking for $2.23. 30-cent missed. Sales also came in weaker than expected, down 7% year-over-year. Year. Toys R Us did a lot of damage, but the company also got hurt by uh, overseas with a strong dollar, and a lot of inventory that had to move but seems pretty clean. While Hasbro has some lucrative partnerships with Disney, including both Star Wars and Marvel Comics, those businesses declined dramatically because there were no major releases. And that's why the stock, I think, shed 3%. On the other hand, the company announced a major restraint and help contain costs. Uh, As I mentioned, they told us that inventories are down significantly in the U.S. and Europe, which is exactly what we want to hear as we head into the holidays, because tight inventories translate into stronger pricing. So has the Toys R Us-related weakness been baked into Hasbro here? Is it safe to start buying the stock at these levels? Let's check in with Brian Golder, the chairman and CEO of Hasbro. Get a better sense of the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Golder, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. All right. So, Brian, there was a lot of uh, fear at the beginning, but then I think you've been saying to us, look, there's still going to be some noise. At what point will the noise go away? And you will go back to what I think was some of the great forecasting that you've always done before Toys R Us.
3: Well, Toys R Us for us last year, this was our largest quarter, Q3, uh, followed by Q4. So as we get through the holidays and into 2019, we've said we'll return to growth and profitable growth as we expand operating profit margins absent uh, one-time costs. And uh, again, as we go forward, we'll be beyond the Toys R Us issue. So it, get, it had to get through 2018. Okay, so let's talk about some of the
1: things that are going to, uh, that really stood out, because I think that everyone knows about the negatives already, but we'll go, we'll go back. Plato. something good with Plato.
3: Yeah, Play-Doh has grown quite well. In fact, uh, using a lot of social media, listening and scraping, we're really looking at how the audience is playing with the brand. It gives us a lot of insight, and we move very quickly. It's a brand that's expanded across this expanded channel strategy that we're employing. So all kinds of retailers can get involved in that creative product, and it also goes global. So we have a team leading the innovation here, and we're very excited about where we go with a brand like this.
1: Okay. also, I mean, when you say that the inventories are lean, I really want people to understand there have been a lot of what uh, toys so-called in the channel. It looks like I know you can't just say, listen, we're done with Toys R Us, but things are better than they were uh, three months ago.
3: Oh, no question. In fact, in the U.S., our retail uh, inventories are down 17 percent. In Europe, our retail inventories are down more than 20 percent. And really, uh, the next quarter is the last quarter where Toys R Us has a meaningful impact. We're waiting for some resolution to Toys R Us Asia as the two partners work out a new arrangement in China. And then we move forward uh, without Toys R Us. But, you know, around the world, we're adding so many new retail channels. Our U.S. team has added 10,000 doors in the last year and 21,000 doors in the last three years. These are all kinds of new retailers that are out there. We're shipping all kinds of new product based on a product development strategy that allows us to make great product at every price point for any consumer and that's where we're going this holiday season is with a lot of new kinds of retailers as uh, as we continue to build the business. And they want to capture the share that Toys R Us left behind.
1: Now, do we have to be concerned? Uh, we're a little bit. Uh, let's just say we're flummoxed by when companies source a lot in China, whether there's big issues up ahead. How do you feel? Uh, can you give us some comfort that China is not a terrible place to have toys made?
3: Well, First and foremost, we also produce 25 percent of the revenues we do in the United States in the United States. We just brought Plato production back to the U.S. Uh, overall, we produce about 70 percent of our product in China, but we've been moving production out of China. In fact, in the next two years, we should be down to about 60 percent out of China. And I thus far have heard in working with the administration that we are being a good actor and a good player. And we expect that the business will be um, uh, fine coming out of China uh, go forward. We don't expect to see any major tariff situation.
1: All right. That's good to know. Now, partner brands declined 37 percent. Is that just a kind of just a hole in in the lineup because nothing new was introduced?
3: Well, we do have year over year. We're just comparing to a year ago we had uh, the uh, Star Wars movie. We also had a lot of entertainment around Disney Princess, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Moana and other brands in uh, the Princess and Frozen lineup. So you're just comparing year on year that you don't have those entertainment initiatives this year.
1: OK, now I went on uh, uh, go- I Google uh, Transformers Bumblebee. It sent me right to Amazon and it was basically a, it looked like an Amazon product, so to speak, but it's yours. Now, do you make good money when I buy something on Amazon like that?
3: Absolutely. Our cost of business with Amazon and other retailers is quite good. And we're very agnostic about how we grow. I'm glad to see that you went online. And what we're doing increasingly as we become more modern and agile as a toy and game company and a modern play company is we're doing those shoppable social pieces of content. So when you go online, you find a product, or you might find a short video. You can click right on that video and buy the product at your favorite retailer in one or two clicks.
1: Now, I want to be sure that people understand that you've become very much an entertainment company. And one of the ways I look at that is when I look at what you guys are doing with uh, Fortnite, uh, what you're doing, you know, Frank, uh, Overwatch. I, I mean, if you could speak to that, people understand this is not the Hasbro that we had five years ago. As much as I liked it then, this is better.
3: Well, we're first launching a Monopoly Fortnite. Uh, thus far, it was the number one new item in the games category just in the first week of the fourth quarter. And then for the spring, we have Nerf Overwatch coming where you get to play the game for real, live, uh, obviously making great blasters and role play so you can play as your favorite character. And then that will follow with Nerf Fortnite, which comes both uh, in the first half of 2019. So it's very exciting. You get to jump out of the game and play for real.
1: Well, I mean, to people, it got lost. I mean, a lot of people, when I was listening to the conference call, I mean, to me, this was the most pertinent thing, because well, I've seen what it's done to Activism Blizzard. Obviously, we know Take-Two with Strahl Zelnick. Uh, no one puts Hasbro in that category. After I read this conference call, I started thinking that you should be considered as part of that group.
3: Well, in particular, as you look at what we're doing with Magic the Gathering and our new Arena product, which has gone into open beta, what we're really offering that audience and that consumer and that gamer is the opportunity to play in a digital space. We built that product ourselves. We're publishing it uh, in open beta. It's really exceeding all our expectations. We're getting great feedback from our gamers, and uh, we'll roll to an official launch early in 2019. And as we go forward, you're going to see a suite of mobile and PC-based games for Magic the Gathering, as well as Dungeons and Dragons, and Wizards of the Coast is really activating our, our whole activity in that space. And the other thing about Magic the Gathering that's fantastic is it's been a competitive card game for so many years and a tournament-based game, and that allows us to go into eSports. It really gives us an opportunity, and you'll see an announcement from us shortly talking about how we're going to enter into eSports in a major way.
1: All right, that is excellent. I know the stock acted much better than I think a lot of people thought it would. That's because a lot of us knew that it was going to be a tough quarter, quarter, but better things are ahead. Thank you, Brian Golder, Chairman and CEO of Hasbro. Great to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. Look, I remain convinced this is the best, and it really it's the only one left in the whole darn thing. I think Patel's got real issues. Hasbro got a great balance sheet, got a great future for 2019. Mad Money's back. Even in a week where most of the market was breaking down, some sell-offs stand out. Take VF Corp, the apparel titan behind Vans, North Face, Timberland, and a host of other brands that you're familiar with. This is a company I adore with a stock that I've recommended repeatedly over the years. So when VF Corp reported on Friday and the stock went into freefall, plunging nearly 11% in a single day, you better believe I took notice. First of all, before we do anything else, I need to eat some crow here. While I told you to expect that the stock might come under pressure in my game plan the week before, uh, I didn't expect a meltdown like this. However, I think the market made a big mistake here. At the end of an emotional panic-filled week, investors saw an imperfect quarter from VF Corp. So they decided to shoot first and ask questions later. But because they dumped a high-quality stock, I think you're now getting a chance to buy it at a huge discount to where it deserves to be trading. I'm not saying that everything was right. Hear me out. But I think it's too low. So to help you understand what's happened here, I want to put VF Corp under the microscope. Before we get to the quarter, though. You need to remember why we like the stock so much in the first place. Last month, we did a deep dive into VF Corp where I explained that there are two big things happening here. First, the company's spinning off its slower growing denim business early next year. And second, once that happens, VF will be a much more focused company with an incredible lifestyle brand. And that brand is known as Vans they take taken what was once a niche sneaker brand for skateboarders, turned into a turbocharged growth story, maybe one of the best out there. That's why we like VF Corp. When I recommended the stock a month ago, I told you to be prepared to buy it in a weakness. Granted, I-, I didn't expect this much weakness. But there's no doubt that the long-awaited pullback has indeed arrived. So what happened to crush the stock on v- uh, Friday? Did VF Corp report a big sales and earnings miss? Did they slash guidance? No. Not at all. In fact, if you look at the headline numbers, it's really complicated, but if you look at the headline numbers, there was a lot to like about VF Corp. Their revenue from continuing operations came in higher than expected, up 15% year over year. Organic revenue was up 6%. While the company's gross margins, what it makes after it costs a good sold, was flat for the quarter, it did increase by 70 basis points on an organic basis, meaning without the impact of acquisitions. As for the earnings, VF Corp made a buck 43 per share. Wall Street was only looking for a buck 33. So far, so good, right? How about the guidance? Well, VF Corp actually raised its full-year revenue forecast slightly, and they tightened their earnings forecast. Both numbers were pretty much in line with expectations. So, so far, we got a good opportunity to buy, right? We got a good one. Right, what about the individual brands? Right, the two largest, Vans, which we told you we really like, and North Face. Well, Vans is up 26%. That's spectacular. Uh, uh, North, uh, yeah, North Face is up 5%. More on that in a second. Uh, Timberland was down 2%. Not great. Wrangler and Lee, the two big jeans company that I'm so worried about, that I'm glad that they're leaving. Let's call them awful, okay? Wrangler down 5 Lee down 9 But remember, VF Corp is spinning off this stuff. It's going away. Yeah, and that's going to happen early next year, precisely because they don't want to be in the denim business anymore. And they're moving to Denver. They're really trying to break away from this old image, okay? Oh, and VF Corp's direct-to-consumer business is booming. It's up 19% in your rear, fueled by a red-hot digital division, which grew by 48%. That's a great number. We love it when apparel makers cut out that middleman, because the margins on those online sales are much higher than the margins when they sell their merchandise to a department store. If you're thinking those numbers sound pretty good and scratching your head about why the heck the F Corp stock crumbled on Friday, I do not blame you. It's one of the mysteries of our business. It's so confusing. Drives people away. Let's explain things. The darn thing opened down 3.6%. Then it got worse as the session went on, ultimately finishing down 10.7%. Someone went out of this stock real bad. Three weeks ago, this was a $93 stock. Now it's a 77. So what went wrong? First and foremost, VF Corp was a victim of great expectations. The issue here. As Deutsche Bank titled their role, their note after the strong quarter, and I love this strong gains advance. But investors were looking for more, end quote. Second, there were plenty of real negatives in there, especially on the conference call, which was not a good call, frankly. In particular, VF Corp sources a lot of its merchandise from China. As I said at the top of the show, 11 percent at the moment. And that has people very worried because of all the trade dispute that, you know, I'm taking very seriously, actually more seriously than most people, because I see no sign of it being resolved anytime soon. And now in his prepared remarks at the start of the call, CEO Steve Rendell, Rendell, who's real good, said they could reposition the global sourcing footprint to mitigate the impact of any additional tariffs. However, VF Corp also sells some product in China. Continued expansion of the People's Republic is kind of a great long-term theme that I like for apparel. Rendell noticed that their Chinese business as being, let's say, and he quoted, thus far unfazed by geopolitical rhetoric, but, and then thus far is, uh, let's say, well, it's doing a lot of work in the sense, right? thus far, to me, means, well, who knows next. Still, China only accounts for a little over 2% of VF Corp sales, so it's not a stupid part of the mix. So I'm not going to hold that against him. Now, you could argue that Randall was merely doing the responsible thing, laying out the potential Chinese risk, because he sought to reassure investors that so far everything is fine. But the problem with doing the responsible thing in this market is that it gives the bears a lot of ammo. <laughs> Immediately, the analysts ask the question after question after question about how bad China's going to get. Again, if you believe management so far, this business is doing fine. Unfortunately, investors have been turning on anything with Chinese exposure. Even when it's only 2% of the business. On top of the trumped-up China woes, not a joke, trumped-up, the numbers from North Face and Timberland, their second and third largest brands, they were disappointing, okay? You know, this, this disappointing numbers. While North Face is still growing at a decent clip, This was a slowdown in all regions outside of the Americas. Now, the company had a good response to that, uh, saying that they said a lot of the orders from their biggest customers got pushed out into the next quarter, part of a broader shift in the way retailers time their orders. I don't know. As Scott Rowe, the CFO, explained, once you normalize for that shift, they're seeing, quote, even greater strength looking forward, end quote. He continued, quote, we have at this point really good visibility to the order book, end quote. So you know what? I'm not worried. I think these guys should get the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, the market didn't feel that way. Timberland, though, no benefit of the doubt. This was just, they got a real problem here. Third straight quarter of of, uh, bad numbers. Now, that said, right now, Timberland's working like crazy to diversify beyond its core old school boots and, and uh, into new categories. Randall told us that they're seeing a lot of momentum in their women's business, especially women's professional footwear. While Timberland was down 2% VF Corp thinks that long term, it can be a mid-single-digit grower. Again, when a management Team, as seasoned as this, says something, unlike the analysts and the brokers, I'm on board Finally, there was the hideous weakness in that denim business, the Wrangler and Lee Jeans. Now, you never want to see bad numbers like that, but I don't think these were particularly relevant since VF Corp is getting rid of the division within the next few months. So what do you do with the stock of VF Corp now? This was not a lose 10% of your value in a single day quarter. I think the stock is a bargain here, trading at less than 19 times next year's earnings estimates. The core of the growth story, the strength of Vans and direct-to-consumer is still very much intact. In fact, this morning, Piper Jaffray's fantastic retail team released the results of their annual fall teen survey. And Vance scored so well that the analyst figures could triple in North America. The bottom line, VF Corp reported a good but not perfect quarter. It just had the misfortune of reporting during a panic. So the stock just got obliterated. I'd be a buyer down here as I think the stock has become a steal at, at these levels, certainly. And will return to excellent growth once it sheds the jeans business and goes on in the rapidly expanding businesses that we like so much. Let's go to Malika in Illinois. Malika. Hi, Mr. Kramer. How are you? I just
0: I, wanted to say, I love your show. You're a smart, intelligent person. And you bring creativity and fun illustrations in, regarding your talk about the market. Thank um, you. My question is I just got into investing a little over a year ago. I'm 35 years old, and most of the stock choices I have are retail in like beauty okay. and skincare and cosmetics. Okay. And my question is, Um, What are your thoughts regarding Ralph Lauren? I know due to the up and down of the market, Last week, I had 500 shares, and they sold 250. And, like, today, it went up, like, $4.53. So what's your recommendation? Uh, I, I
1: think this is one you really can't look at every day because it trades so crazily. But the up four is a lot better. Than, I think this is now a very well-run company. I always thought Mr. Lawrence is just absolutely terrific. But this new CEO is just great. I want, to, I want you to hold on to that stock. I think it's terrific. All right, let's go to Jim in South Carolina. Jim.
3: We are Kramer? Jim from South Carolina here. All right, my what's question, up? My, my question is, with the massive decline of Stitch Fix of 50% in the last 30 days, yeah. is there any chance for recovery back to the 50 level, or should I say? No,
1: I, I, I'll tell you, I really respect and like Katrina Lake, but that was not a good quarter. And in this business, honestly, when you report a not good quarter that early on in your public existence, there's no forgiveness. You're going to have to have a couple good, she's got to have a couple good quarters before anyone comes back to that one. Hey, that's just the way it is. It's a tough business. All right? not all sell offs are created. VF Corp had the misfortune reporting during a broader panic. I think it's a buy at these levels. Much more mad money. Ahead. This market might be ugly, but there's still some opportunities. Right now, I'm eyeing an old-line tech company that could be worth picking up. I'll reveal the name when I tackle the technicals. Then, ignore at your own risk. Stocks are trying to tell us something, and JPAL Powell really doesn't want to hear it. I'll tell you why it's got me shook, and all your calls. Rapid fire. Tonight's just the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm crazy as a fox right now. What's the URLs? Bipolar world,
2: partner. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's a ton of information. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Look,
1: I don't blame anyone for feeling dispirited here. This stock market has become a lot less welcoming over the past few weeks. The house of
2: pain. In
1: fact, I find the action downright worrisome. More on that later. But even when things get really ugly, even when you just want to sell everything and stick your head in the sand so you don't need to watch the carnage, I'm telling you to keep your eyes open for opportunities. And that's really the mad money credo. I think it's worth searching for these kinds of opportunities, even on ugly days like when the Dow goes down. Nasdaq they go higher. Granted, it requires a lot of intestinal fortitude to hold your nose and to buy something here. A lot of times I want to put some hot sauce in the names I want to buy. Maybe I like them more. So let's talk about finding touchstones in a very tough environment where it's really difficult to try to make money. Regular viewers know that I find the market's recent action disconcerting. I try to listen to what companies are telling us, right, and what the stocks are showing us, more importantly. Right now, it feels like they're saying, well, we got to have a slowdown, courtesy of the Fed and the trade war. As long as our new Fed chief, Jerome Powell, very good man, sticks to his guns and keeps insisting we need three more rate hikes next year on top of the upcoming rate hike in December, I'm going to have a hard time feeling sanguine about this market. But you know what? There are other ways to evaluate stocks. Maybe Powell changes his mind. Maybe there's something the the fundamentals just aren't capturing. And that's why every week we go off the charts, checking in with some of the best technicians on Earth to see what they have to say, because sometimes the charts tell a different story. And while the charts are far from perfect in a tough market, they become extra valuable because they're emotionless, emotionless touchstones. The charts don't panic when we go down. They don't get euphoric when we have a temporary bounce, which is uh, how, I I don't know if you recall last week, but Mark Sebastian predicted that the market would have another leg down. We spoke to him last Tuesday after that big rally. Very few people felt like that, but Mark Sebastian read it right. Emotions get in the way, so looking at the technicals can be very helpful in a tough market. And that's why tonight we're doing a wow, a doozy. We're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams, the semi-mythical technician who's been trading futures, commodities, and stocks for more than 50 years and has made us a lot of money. Williams is a legend. He's written nearly a dozen books, created a bunch of technical indicators, many of which are named after him. And he's got his own website where he teaches people to become better traders. Ireallytrade.com. That's right. Ireallytrade.com. When Williams makes a prediction, you do well to listen, especially when his call seems to go against the conventional wisdom. And, oh, boy, are we going against conventional wisdom now. For example, at this moment, he really likes IBM. IBM, of all things. That's right, IBM. He thinks it's poised to rally here, even though the stock has been a total house of pain. Remember, IBM just reported last week, okay? And the results were widely viewed as being very disappointing. The company spent years trying to embrace new, faster-growing businesses. Hey, uh, the cloud, uh, Watson, artificial intelligence. And the that this would offset the long-term decline of the old IBM, what we call the incumbent IBM. But in this last quarter, it didn't work out, and the company's overall revenue slowed by 2%. Even the faster-growing parts were weaker than expected. But man, IBM, the stock, it has come down a lot with it bouncing along at levels we haven't seen since January of 2016. Remember, the stock market was much lower then. So why does Williams think the stock is ready to rebound? I want you to look at this weekly chart, which shows a couple of very important things. you got the action in IBM in the black. Okay, that's easy enough to understand. And then in red, you've got a combination of two cycles. Williams is always looking at how stocks have traded in the past to predict their future direction. In the case of IBM, there are two dominant cycles. Okay, this is very interesting stuff, and I, I learned a lot here. When it comes due every 300 125 days and another that's 145 days when you combine them, which is what he's done. You get the red line. Okay, look at this. This is really cool in terms of being ahead of the curve. Now, these cycles would have predicted the recent declines in IBM stock. Right. You would have gotten that one. See, before it went down, got that, okay. More importantly, when you project them forward, they suggest the stock could be ready to roar higher. Not just go higher, but roar higher. I don't know what's going to occur to make it happen, but let's just let's just take the chart at its word. Next up, check out this chart of IBM, which shows the typical seasonal pattern in the stock in red. Williams wants to see how the stock trades in an average year. And again, he finds that you usually get a terrific rally starting in the last week of October. Well, hello. If you bought IBM in late October of last year or in 2016, you caught a very nice trade, all right? It's worked. Remember, this is the IBM seasonal pattern. This is the reality, okay? But how reliable is this pattern? I mean, is this fanciful or is it fact? I sometimes joke that technical analysis seems a little like astrology. You're looking for, I'm I'm Aquarius, they tell me. You're looking for all sorts of formations, but there's no guarantee that having the right sign will actually give you the right results you want. However, even if we don't necessarily understand why it works, some of these patterns are a lot more bankable than others. When Williams ran the numbers, guess this is, again, I, I... I love this guy. Uh, He found that buying IBM on the 19th trading day of October, 19th, okay, 19th trading day of October, has produced 48 winning trades over the last 48 years, as long as you use a $90 stock. And then you hold it for five days and sell once you get an up day after that. 48 out of 48, I don't know. I mean, as things go, pretty darn good, right? Of course, the thing about technical analysis is that it works until it doesn't. Maybe this year the pattern doesn't hold, then it becomes 48 out of 49. But at the very least, Williams has good reason to think that IBM may be poised for at least a short-term bounce here. So maybe this is one of those that you go for if you think that that tech rally today spreads. Finally, and most important, I want you to take a gander at this daily chart of IBM, which includes one of Williams' proprietary indicators, in other words, stuff that he created. This is the Williams COTSI, C-O-T-S-I, a tool that helps us figure out whether big institutional money managers are buying or selling. Think of the blue line, all right, as the measure of informed buying at high levels. Informed meaning they've got money and they've done a lot of work. Right now, this chart suggests that the big boys are buying IBM hand over fist. Pretty interesting. Maybe they're attracted to IBM's value stock at these levels, got good yield, right? Uh, maybe they believe the Fed will relent and all things tech will be able to bounce. Maybe they think that the tech rally today is uh, a for real, it is going to include IBM. No matter what. The one thing we know about institutional buying is it tends to send stocks higher. There's so much look at this, they could close that gap without a problem. Now here's the bottom line. This market has gotten pretty ugly. I'm not denying I hated the late last 10 minutes. I thought we had a real rally going. I said it on Twitter. I thought that they could finish. They only finished on the NASDAQ. But sometimes the charts can point you to opportunities in the most unlikely places. Right now, the charts, as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams, suggest that IBM, I mean, it's IBM's worth buying here.
2: Man, money's back here to the break. The earnings are relentless. But Kramer has burned the midnight oil, and he's ready to run the gauntlet all week. Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss.
1: It is time! It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with uh, Giorgio in Illinois. Giorgio. Ba, 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 booyah mister Kramer. Sweet. I'm a young investor, and I would like to thank you for all that you do for us. It is truly appreciated. Ah, you're very kind. Thank you very much. With tech stock volatility up and down and earnings just a few weeks away, and its recent partnership with Zoom Video, is Dropbox currently a buy? I think Dropbox seems to have settled down to a level where I think a lot of people feel comfortable with it. It's, it's doing quite well. When we sat down with the company, we felt pretty good about it. The stock just kept going lower. I think it's trying to bottom here. Let's go to David in Texas. David. Booyah, professor. First-time caller. Oh, excellent. Good to have first-timers. What's going on?
0: I'm calling about ticker J-K-H-Y. I we, did a, we did a piece about this saying, the... saying
1: it is definitely you know, it's one of the great fintech companies nobody's ever heard of. I like it. Let's go to Neil in Georgia. Neil. Hey, Jim. Nice to talk to you. Roll Tide. Oh, yeah. oh man. You could beat a lot of NFL teams. What's up? Okay. Uh, my company is
2: The Trade Debt.
1: Oh, man, this one's hot as a pistol. But you know what? The market has turned on big momentum stocks. I will say it's diverging from the co- the, the business is great, but the stock could be under pressure because of so many tough things that are going on in the NASDAQ right now. Let's go to Pete in Maine. Pete.
0: Hey, Jim. Booyah from the great state of Maine. It's uh, an
1: honor and a privilege to speak with you today. Oh, same. What's up? I have a question for you. I acquired myself, I bought myself some Albemarle at 95 last April, and uh, it's been hovering there, a little up, a little down. Yeah. Uh,
2: is, that, is that a stock I should keep riding? Yeah,
1: no, no, it's a great opportunity. It's got, uh, There's just a lot of good chemicals within that one, and it's held up much better than everybody else. Uh, let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Joe from Long Island. All right. My stock tonight is Cloudera. I've been a holder since the IPO. Cloudera announced the merger with HortonWorks a few weeks back. Uh, I thought the it was a great merger. Be They've been beating each other's percent. heads in. They've been going at it tooth and uh, tooth and nail. Now, now there's an actual chance for uh, the combined company thinks going to make a lot of money. I like the acquisition very much. Let's go to uh, Jig in New York. Jig. Maria, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for all you do. I want to give a real quick shout-out to my advisor, TJ, from Atlantic City. And I had a question on Palo Alto Networks. Uh, it has come down a bit. And what do you think of the company? I'm a buyer of the... it for action alerts. Why? Because if you take a look, there was an article today about Facebook wanting to get into, into security. I think everybody wants to get into security. And in Palo Alto is the best. The chart's bad enough for it. Although, Matt Horween, thank you for telling me the chart was terrible. Wow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: I know the averages looked relatively placid today, at least compared to the hideous meltdowns from last week, but the big indices are masking some tremendous weakness, at least on the big board. In fact, we had so many breakdowns of so many groups last week that it was my number. Worse than what's going down is what's going up. The best performing stocks here are the ones you reach for when you fear that we're going into a recession. (laughs) When I produced the charts this weekend, the only winners last week were the utilities, the ultimate recession stocks. You could have thrown darts at the utility stocks and you would have made money. The worst utility I followed, First Energy, actually performed the best. How bad is that? Let me put it this way. The utilities are the worst leadership group imaginable. It's like being led by General Custer. You know that's not going to end well. Other than that, there were a handful of health insurers that put up some uh, points, another recession-proof group, as well as Dollar General, Walmart, and Ross stores. In other words, the recession retailers, plain and simple. The individual carnage is instructive because while many investors are beginning to realize that most stocks can't possibly handle being stuck between the tariffs and the Fed rate hikes, the vast majority of pundits keep insisting that the Fed is right. Why? Because the employment numbers are so strong. People, this is crazy talk. First of all, the unemployment uh, rate, it's, a, it's an historic lagging indicator. If you want to make a forecast about the future, which is all really that matters, it's the last thing you should be looking at. But you know what's a great forecasting machine? The stock market. And if you want to believe that the Fed is right to tighten four more times, you need to ignore the fact that the home builders like Toll Brothers, KB Homes, DR Horton, Lennar have seen their stocks just get eviscerated. <laughs> When I scrutinize the charts of, say, Warehouse, or Vulcan Materials, Martin Marietta Materials, U.S. Concrete, Home Depot, Terex, United Rentals, Mohawk, PPG, dozens of others that are involved in the construction and uh, construction of housing in particular, it screams slowdown. Yet I honestly believe that if Fed Chief Jerome Powell looked at these stocks, it might mean nothing to him. He's becoming like a racehorse with blinkers on. Why does the action mean so much to me? Because historically, these kinds of breakdowns have been arbingers of some really severe economic downturns. Now, there are many other charts to scream, look out in the tech world, including any cloud stocks and the data center stocks and the Internet of Things stocks, and they've been pummeled. You'll get a respite when, say, uh, you, uh, Lamb Research reports Good Quarter, thats a semiconductor equipment company, but then the selling begins anew. While Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet rallied today, the fact remains tech's got a problem. You know what it is? There's too much stock supply. For example, we have way too many cloud stocks that have been created, which makes it very difficult for anything in this category to find its footing. Then there's the semiconductor stocks. Micron's your best tell in an uninvestable group, and it's awful. However, if it's, it's the housing-related stocks like Masco, like Fortune Brands Home and Security that leave me reeling. They're both down about 35% from their highs. Those hideous moves suggest that 5% mortgage rates are an anathema to people who want to remodel by taking out expensive home equity loans. Perhaps the most egregious performers last week were the industrials, the perfect bookends to the collapse of housing because they're under attack from both the trade war and the Fed. Can you imagine? How can the Fed get even more hawkish when it seems like the president has passed, when the President has passed the point of no return when it comes to negotiating with China? It, it's not a trade war, it's just full stop! Sure, the Chinese market rallied four percent last night, but you know what, thanks to the trade war, I don't see that helping our companies. We'll likely be excluded from any turn in China's economy, because of politics. That doesn't seem to matter to Powell either. Look, maybe these stocks are all wrong, every one of them. Maybe the fact that CSX went down after that fantastic quarter means nothing. Perhaps we shouldn't even care about PPG, Wabash National. Maybe the Fed thinks that the action in the stock market is arbitrary, capricious, and random. If that's what Powell believes, then he's not going to blink. But if he's more in touch with reality... This would be a great time to say, we'll reassess after the December rate hike. Those words would send us soaring higher. But whether or not we'll hear them, that's an open question. Stick with Craig. Tonight, American Greed has two episodes starting at a special time, 9 o'clock. First, a fraudster masterminds a $37 million insurance fraud and lives large. Then a daughter figures out a way to strike it rich, killing her mother. Two hours of all-new American Greed. I like to say this always bull market summary. I promise I'm to find it just for you right here Mad Money. I'm Duke Kramer.
2: See you tomorrow.
0: What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com/trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services LLC, Member NYSC, SIPC.